Taiwan announced three local cases on Tuesday, the fewest since the outbreak in mid-May. All three cases were detected in New Taipei. This is the first time uh, since, the, since the outbreak that Taipei City has had no new cases. The case count spiked from the single digits on May 13th to 100, 200 cases. It was quite astonishing. We were on tenterhooks every day. Our goal was to thoroughly conduct contact tracing for every single case and then cut off the so-called chain of transmission. So it wasn't about getting it done as quickly as possible, but about doing it all properly. It's taken months for Taipei to bring its COVID case count to zero. On May 13th, a COVID cluster was detected in Taipei's Wanhua district, and the city's daily case count surged to 242 on May 15th. The following month, there was an outbreak at the city's wholesale produce markets, and Taipei continued to be a major COVID hotspot. It wasn't until uh, August 10th that the city finally reached a milestone of zero new cases. Australian Medical Group is warning about potentially fatal heart complications caused by the Delta COVID variant among young people. The Victor Chang Cardiac Research Institute, based in New South Wales, said last week that Delta has the potential to cause serious heart complications among younger people. These complications include blood clots, abnormal heart rhythm, and even death. Fitness centers are back and restaurants are seating customers once again. With pandemic restrictions lifting, Taiwan's young adults are out in force. But an Australian medical research center warns that the Delta variant can cause potentially fatal heart complications in younger people. These include myocarditis, heart rhythm problems and blood clots. Severe cases can even lead to death. The virus primarily invades the lungs. After the lungs are damaged, because you develop resistance, you might be able to overcome the virus. But your wheezing puts a burden on your cardiovascular system. Does that damage the heart, cause it to become inflamed? That's worth investigating. But at this point, this potential risk isn't something to panic over. COVID doesn't only affect the respiratory system, it also forces the heart to work harder, the doctor says. So far, only a very few people have developed cardiovascular complications. But unlike the earlier strains of COVID, which sent mainly older adults to the hospital, the Delta variant poses a threat to younger adults, too. When this virus first came, it took down older adults. Now that older adults have all been vaccinated and have developed antibodies, the virus will start to turn to a different demographic. Another point I want to make is my own observation. As the pandemic drags on, young people are becoming weary. Whether in Taiwan or overseas, any young person who has to hang out at home for a year is liable to get sick of it. The moment it's okay to go out to play, they'll be storming the streets. The doctor said that young adults have higher levels of social activity and are more likely to not be vaccinated. As a result, they're at higher risk of infection by the Delta variant, he said. Turning to the COVID vaccination campaign, Taiwan has administered nearly 9.3 million vaccines so far. Just over 37 percent of the population has received at least one dose. Starting on Wednesday, another 487,000 people will be getting a Moderna vaccine. The health minister says the plan for now is to offer Moderna to a maximum of 4 million people who will each be able to receive two doses.
we have orders and donations totaling more than 8 million Moderna vaccines, which we expect to administer to more than 4 million people. So far, 3 million of those doses have been administered. In the future, there will be relatively few people who get Moderna as their first shot. I would also like to clarify our plans. Currently, there are no studies on mixing a first dose of Moderna with a second dose of another brand, on whether that produces a similar or better protective effect. Since that is not an option, the 8 million Moderna doses will all be administered as first and second shots. That's how we arrived at the figure of 4 million people. Our overall goal is still to administer first shots to many people as soon as possible, to boost coverage. That's our main goal. The second goal is to ensure we leave enough doses to administer as second doses. In related news, there's new research out showing how vaccines lose effectiveness against Delta. In a study involving 50,000 COVID patients in the U.S., researchers found that the effectiveness of Pfizer fell from 76% in early 2021 to just 42% by July, which is when the Delta variant became predominant. In comparison, Moderna was still 76% effective by July, down from 86% in early 2021. Do you remember pineapple fever? Well, in Japan, it never ended. Pineapple is the theme of a new Taiwan festival. We spoke to the Council of Agriculture about how Taiwan pineapple has bounced back from China's blacklisting. And we met a pineapple farmer named Yang Yufan to hear how pineapple has fared through COVID-19. Tokyo Tower is transformed into a giant pineapple. The theme of Japan's annual Taiwan festival is the golden fruit. Fruit, juice, and sour drinks made of pineapple are all popular. The spiky fruit is selling out fast. Both the Japanese public and the Tokyo government are keen to support Taiwanese farmers. The Council of Agriculture says that from January to July, Taiwan exported over 28,000 metric tons of pineapple, almost 18,000 of which went to Japan. That's eight times more than last year, and equal to the entire sum sold in the previous 19 years. Japan has definitely overtaken China to become the premier market for Taiwan pineapple. There are various Japanese companies and supermarkets, and there are Taiwanese people living in Japan whose patriotism has been fired up to buy lots of Taiwan pineapple and sell it in a very short period of time on the market, and it's selling great. I'm very happy about Taiwan and Japan's friendship and the good luck of the pineapple. The harvest season was before the pandemic got bad, so it wasn't too affected. With Japan's help, I think we've managed to get through this crisis in one piece. Bloomberg reports that China's embargo on Taiwanese pineapple has failed due to other countries stepping up. Five months ago, China announced an import ban on Taiwan pineapple meant as a slap on the wrist for the Thai government. But figures show the move has been counterproductive. The crisis has been an opportunity for transition. We have to diversify our risks in the market. Now, pineapple is more than just a local god. It's an international superstar. Taiwan and Japan have come together to show love to pineapple farmers. When one window closes, a door always opens. Under the Level 2 COVID alert, public attractions are starting to reopen to the public. One of them is a Shulin residence, which is hosting a showcase of tropical rainforest plants featuring 130 species. Let's take a look.
The COVID alert was lowered to level two on July 27th. The Shilin residence has reopened its doors to the public with a new exhibition called Tropical Rainforest Plant Exhibition. The Shilin residence has reopened its doors to the public. For the first time, it's hosting a tropical rainforest exhibition. Rainforest plants are very important to our natural ecology. The Amazon forests are being destroyed, and it's had a butterfly effect. I'm thankful to the people involved in this exhibition. They want to improve the environment for our future generations. Some 130 species of rainforest plants are featured in this exhibition. There are nine varieties of anthurium. Other highlights include the Colocasia feral mask and staghorn ferns. This time, we've got a tropical rainforest exhibition. Most of the plants in the exhibition are ericea or anthurium. We've also got the popular staghorn fern. Everyone wants to plant it. Rainforest plants are different from ordinary plants in that they've adapted to the dark environment and humid climate in dense jungles. The leaves also have very peculiar shapes, textures and colors. Tropical rainforests are calling on us to protect the earth now. We hope these tropical rainforest plants will reappear. It took about half a month to collect these varieties and lay out our ideas. We're limiting visitors to 50 people, and we have signs at the door to remind people of social distancing. There is also alcohol disinfectant at the door. The 2021 Tropical Rainforest Plant Exhibition is on until August 29th, and admission is free. Visitors must wear a mask and practice social distancing inside the park. For Mosa News, Stephanie Yang, Tsen Bohan in Taipei. President Tsai Ing-wen uh, met on Tuesday with the newly appointed director of American Institute in Taiwan, Sandra Oudkirk. During a reception at the presidential office, Tsai said she looked forward to working with Otkirk to boost Taiwan and U.S. ties. A warm re-encounter at the presidential office. President Tsai had last met Otkirk two years ago when the American was an official at the U.S. Bureau of East Asian and Pacific Affairs. Now Otkirk is in Taipei as the new director of the American Institute in Taiwan. I would like to once again welcome Director Sandra Otkirk to Taiwan on her new assignment. I look forward to your creative approaches as we work hand-in-hand hand to bring the Taiwan-U.S. relation to the next level. It is truly a delight for me and an honor to be back in Taiwan. As you all know, the U.S.-Taiwan relationship is at, a, is at a high watermark, and I really do hope to be able to work directly with, with you, Madam, and with all of our colleagues here to build and strengthen that relationship and to move forward in many different ways and in all the many different ways that you have mentioned. Odkirk, who is fluent in Chinese and Turkish, is the first female director of the AIT. Her diplomatic career spans 30 years. She started working for the U.S. Department of State in 1991, and her first foreign appointment was at the AIT in Taipei. She's also previously worked at the U.S. Embassy in Beijing. Immediately prior to this assignment, she served as Deputy Assistant Secretary for Australia, New Zealand, and the Pacific Islands. She's widely considered to have a deep understanding of Taiwan affairs. Last month, when Director Sandra Odkirk arrived in Taiwan, she was wearing a face mask with the words Hello Taiwan, which caught the public's eye. 
That face mask was given to her by our envoy to the U.S., Xiaobi Kim. The face mask was a creative effort from our expats abroad to promote citizen diplomacy. I would like to thank you for helping to promote that. I believe our citizens abroad were very happy about that. Tsai thanked the U.S. for donating 2.5 million vaccines to Taiwan and for its firm support. She also expressed gratitude for an arms deal approved by the Biden administration last week to enhance Taiwan's self-defense capabilities. Tsai said she hoped Taiwan and Washington would continue working together to ensure peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait. DPP lawmakers say Taiwan should do more to develop its relationship with Central and Eastern Europe. At a press conference on Tuesday, lawmakers urged the foreign ministry to update its diplomatic strategy for the region. They call for more direct flights, more representative offices, and more bilateral exchanges in trade, tourism, and education. On July 31st, 20,000 doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine arrived in Taiwan, a gift from Lithuania. In the wake of this goodwill gesture, DPP lawmakers held a press conference Tuesday to call on the government to do more to deepen its ties with Central and Eastern Europe. Public diplomacy refers to efforts to inform ordinary people about the countries friendly with Taiwan, about the political state of each country and the nature of the bilateral relationship. The goal is to build a broad understanding and base of knowledge. Over the past few years, Taiwan has had increasingly frequent interactions with Central and Eastern European countries. Czech Senate President Milos Vistricil visited Taiwan last September. And this year, after a COVID outbreak in Taiwan, Lithuania, Slovakia and the Czech Republic donated vaccines and support. Taiwan's foreign ministry says it will set up an office in Lithuania by September. The same month, a Slovak delegation is scheduled to visit Taiwan. With bilateral exchanges increasing, pan-green lawmakers say Taiwan should establish more diplomatic, economic, tourism and education ties with Central and Eastern Europe. DPP legislator Xu Zhijie says the central government should start talks with countries in the region over opening up more direct flights. If, say, in the city of Prague, we're able to set up a direct flight route, we would gain more opportunities for making connections with other European countries. Whether we're talking talent and language training, expanding our bases, or planning new ones, when it comes to our strategy for Central and Eastern European countries, we are working extremely hard on developing it. The lawmakers asked the foreign ministry to update its strategy for Central and Eastern Europe so that Taiwan can seize opportunities that arise for closer diplomatic ties. It's now been 10 years since the war in Syria began, and due to the pandemic, Syrian children are in more urgent need of help than ever. World Vision is raising funds in Taiwan to support the war-torn country at this unprecedented time. Formosa News reporter Stephanie Yang speaks to an aid worker on the ground in Syria. Over the course of the last decade, Syria has been a country devastated by war. According to a report by World Vision and Frontier Economics, Syria is one of the worst places in the world to be a child. Girls live with the fear of being raped, and children are routinely recruited to fight. An estimated 82% of recruited children are used in direct combat, and 25% of them are under 15 years old. Since the start of the war, 55,000 children have been killed. We are on the brink of losing a generation of Syrian children if we don't act now. 
And what we need to do and what we really urge the, the kind people of Taiwan uh, to do is to really commit and ask their governments to continue scale up their um, support to protect these children because they are survivors um, and they need to have the opportunity to, to recover. Since last year, the pandemic has complicated Syria's plight. Northwest Syria, which only has nine hospitals, has been overwhelmed with COVID cases. Nearly 50% of reported cases in the region have resulted in death. The COVID crisis has been especially devastating for children. Since COVID-19 started, we have seen an increase of cases in which children had had to drop uh, out of school in order to be able to support families. What does that mean? It, it also means that it increases their risk to get, for example, exposed to other negative coping mechanisms. So I remember um, our field teams uh, telling me that they see children, little small children, begging at night on the streets without any supervision, without anyone to support them, and they are quite far from home. World Vision is calling for Taiwanese to donate online to support the war-torn nation. Over the past 10 years, World Vision Taiwan has partnered with 35 partner organizations to raise a total of 319 million U.S. dollars for Syria. The resource that we raised within uh, Taiwan, actually, uh, we have been uh, uh, able to pull all the resources, not just from Taiwan, but also from different countries uh, into this big scale uh, emergency response, which cannot be handled by one single office. So uh, basically, we are uh, be able to uh, uh, raising uh, to raise the some resources from uh, within the countries and, and thanks to uh, uh, the warm heart of the public Taiwanese public and also the government as well uh, to uh, to to respond to this emergency. So for the little resource we have, uh, I will say maybe few millions, very few millions, and and to 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 into this uh, pool. Uh, for responding to this big uh, scale uh, emergency. World Vision has been supporting Syrian children since the war's outbreak. They have supported millions of Syrian children with education, health care and clean water. We have supported around 7 million children across the across the region. Another story that I could recall is the story of Rahma. Um, a beautiful um, eight years older girl who also had to be displaced with her mother. And because I don't know if you have ever been in the camps, but the camps are crowded. There is no specific road or paved road. So uh, it's quite dense and suffocating as well. So Rahma just wanted to, to move around and she got um, into a car accident, but her family uh, had no, no money to support her and provide her with anything uh, in terms of medical care. Um, so she had to stop going to school. Uh, she had stopped going out of her little tent that was poorly damaged, like poorly, you know, raised up. And um, so what we did is that we managed to get her into our child um, child-friendly spaces at that time, 
and give her access to non-formal education, but we also supported with the medical costs so she could then return to her normal life. This aid worker in Syria says winter has affected many Syrians who live out in the elements in extremely low temperatures. Now they face the threat of COVID-19, making it even harder to access health care and social distance. For most news, Stephanie Yang, Chen Bohan in Taipei. Now turning to sports news, Team Taiwan is getting ready for the Tokyo Paralympics, which will kick off on August 24th. This year, at least 10 Taiwanese athletes will be competing in six sporting events. These events are table tennis, powerlifting, judo, badminton, athletics and swimming. At the previous Paralympics in Rio, Taiwan won two medals, one silver and a bronze. One of Taiwan's most famous landmarks, the Taipei Grand Hotel, offers a wealth of historical interest for guests and diners. Built to accommodate visiting ambassadors or heads of state, it's one of Taiwan's fanciest venues. But even the Grand Hotel had a hard time through the Level 3 alert. Now one of its biggest attractions, the Secret East Tunnel, is open to the public again. And to tempt back customers, the hotels opened a suite of rooms that have never been opened to the public before. This is the basement of Taipei Grand Hotel. It was designed with an emergency escape route for Taiwan's head of state, the Secret East Tunnel. The tunnel is 67 meters long and was built in a zigzag layout to keep people out of the view of enemies on their tail and help them avoid bullets. At the end of the tunnel, we emerge into a garden now used for outdoor wedding ceremonies. The buildings here have an unparalleled view over Jilong River. Now for the first time in 70 years, they're open as guest rooms for the public. Hotel guests can enjoy menus from the state banquets of former presidents, as well as the views they would have woken up to. We have not cancelled our previous plans. We would not completely halt them so suddenly, despite the slowing down we experienced with the pandemic. So what should we be doing at this stage? We must protect our guests as much as we can and protect our staff. That's partly why we devised this project now. Eating in is now permitted across both Taipei City and New Taipei. Many hotels are offering special plans to tempt diners back through their doors. Before the pandemic worsened, 100 guests were allowed in the Secret East Tunnel at any time. Now it's restricted to groups of just 20, and a full disinfection is carried out after each group.